Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, August the 14th, 2023. It is currently 2.35 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. So you begin a series on the doctrine of sanctification. Which word do you think you would want everyone to remember? If you were going to start a series on the doctrine of sanctification, which word would you want everyone to remember? Which word would you be like, they need to know this word. They need to understand this word. This word is key to the entire study on the doctrine of sanctification. Normal people, right? Regular people would say, well, uh, obviously it's sanctification. Why are you asking such a ridiculous and dumb question? Because, well, I tend to do that. But for this study, it's not going to be the word sanctification. That is not the word I want you to remember. All right. I know that makes no sense to you. You're going to be like, wait, what? Now, some of you who heard part one of this, you, you, you have to know, you have to know what the word is. You, you know, right? If you remember part one, do you remember the word? What is the word that I want you to remember in this study of sanctification? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it happens to be this word. Listen carefully. Listen. All right. Listen. Get your ear close to the speaker. Listen. It's this word. Beleaguered. One more time. Beleaguered. One more time. Beleaguered. One more time. Beleaguered. Beleaguered is the word. I want you to write down the word beleaguered. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, that makes absolutely no sense. You're right. It makes absolutely no sense. Why would the word be beleaguered if it's a study on the doctrine of sanctification? Well, I want just, just follow my logic here. Just follow my logic. The word beleaguered is an actual word. It has actual definitions and there's a correct way to say it and there's an incorrect way to say it. So when it comes to the word beleaguered, the, the, the correct way of saying the word, that is the standard, right? Beleaguered. That's a, if I say beleaguered or if I say it any other way, it's incorrect, right? There is a standard when it comes to the word beleaguered, there is a standard. And what I should strive to do is say the word correctly. I may get close. I may get it 50% right, 60% right, 70% right. But when it comes to speaking any word, the correct way is what we strive for, right? We, but there's a standard, right? Here is the correct way. You can say a word and someone like, no, that's not, that's not the way you say the word. And you say, no, it is. No, it is. Yes, no, yes. And you could go back and forth. Some may say, well, you could say it two different ways, but there's typically a correct way to say a word, right? I think we can all agree with that. Beleaguered. Now, I tried something in part one, played a little thing about beleaguered, and I tried to, at the end, come back and say, see, beleaguered, I said it incorrectly. And if I don't say it correctly, well, then I'm not meeting the standard. Are you getting why I, I, you, are you getting what I'm trying to say? We're talking about sanctification, right? And how do we define sanctification? Listen, sanctification. Or in its verbal form, sanctify literally means to set apart for special use or purpose. That is, make holy or sacred. Therefore, sanctification refers to the state or process of being set apart, made holy. To be made holy. Well, if you're going to be talking about being set apart, if you're going to be talking about being made holy, if you're going to be, you've got to then have the standard, right? If I'm going to say, okay, look, when you speak, here are all these words. The standard is for you to say all of them correctly, that you speak them correctly, beleaguered. Well, no, 
if, if I'm way back here, who knows how I'm saying the word slowly, but surely if I'm moving forward, saying it correctly, then I'm being set apart in a sense to speak the word correctly, say it correctly. And the closer I get to the correct way, the closer I'm getting to the standard. So guess what is most important then if we're going to talk about sanctification If we're going to talk about sanctification, we need a clear standard, right? We need to clearly establish the standard. Now, there are so many issues when it comes to sanctification. Make sure we've already talked about this. Uh, Understanding the positional aspect versus the practical aspect. There's all of it. And how Christians so, I think there's so much misunderstanding when it comes to sanctification. Do you use sanctification as a way in order to test or prove justification? There's all of these theological issues. And we're going to be exploring them or we're going to be, we're going to be working on this. And remember, I told you from the beginning, I don't have like, we're starting a study on sanctification and we're going to finish it by this date. There is no end in sight. Just anytime I want to talk about sanctification, we will do so in this series, right? And we're calling it set apart. And the reason we're doing that is because The Bible Studies for Life, Summer 2023, the personal study guide, they dedicate the last part of summer to a series called Set Apart, A Life Lived for God. And it was literally in their introduction where they put the word beleaguered. It's right here. And the word beleaguered now is going to become kind of this a symbolic representation of what I'm trying to say. If we're going to talk about sanctification We've got to have the standard. If I'm going to be talking about, um, am I speaking the English language correctly? Where there's got to be a standard, right? Oh, here's the, here, here are words. Here's the correct way. Here's the incorrect way to say them. Here's the correct definition. Here's the incorrect definition. And so you're always moving forward, trying to become more articulate, more clear, speaking the words accurately, maybe not trying to so much let your accent from where you live influence in how you say the word because, because you want to say it in a correct way, not based off, well, I'm, I'm from Texas and this is the way we talk. No, no. You want to try to find the correct way, right? You want the standard, right? And all of that fits perfectly with sanctification. Sanctification cannot be based off, well, how your church thinks, how your church thinks. Siri wants to get involved here. Um, it cannot, why Siri wants to talk to me. I don't know. Hey, I'm not talking to you. All right. But you can't say sanctification is based off what your church says or what your Christian family says or what your Christian friends say or what your small group says or, you know, sanctification needs a definitive defined standard. And then we look at how then are we set apart to that? How are we made more and more like that? How are we doing in that process? Right. And remember when we, even when we talk about it as a process, we have to remember the different aspects of sanctification, a, a past, a present, a future, one that is completed, one that is ongoing, one that will be final and eternal. Right. We have to talk about all of these different ideas. And so there's so many different directions we could go. So many different directions we could go. And there, it's been fascinating because I've been watching all of my uh, podcasts, you know, notifications come in. And there's been a lot of discussion about sanctification on other Christian podcasts, right? So I'm, I'm going to be, we're going to be reviewing some of those. We're just going to, I don't know when this is going to end, but it's going to be fun. But I think we have to start, which I think is fascinating, where the Bible studies for life started. Remember, I gave you the scriptures. And remember, I gave you lots of assignments to do. One of those assignments is you're supposed to be looking up every place in the Bible where the word sanctify, sanctified, sanctification, where all of those are, are, you're supposed to be looking them all up, right? I want you to know just exactly what the Bible has to say about being sanctified, sanctify, uh, sanctification, being set apart, being made holy. Look up everything the Bible has to say in regards to it, okay? Because I think... Look, that, that's what we have to do. And so maybe at some point I'll do, if people don't send in their assignments, then I'll, I'll have to do some of this for them. But you know, when you're actually participating, I think it's very, very, very important. So email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And also every question you have in regards to sanctification, every question you have about it, 
man, bomb, fill my email inbox. Just, just go to town. You can email me every hour on the hour, right? Because I, I want to know what you struggle with. Because I know if you, if you've been going to church for any length of time, you hear about justification, sanctification, glorification, or you may hear about regeneration, justification, or yeah, regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. You hear these and everyone thinks that they've got them all figured out and they, they've got them very distinct and they think, but I, I tell you so many times in preaching, pastors will say one thing about sanctification and one thing about justification and then obliterate distinctions and do so many weird things with it. So I, I want to hopefully in this series help you just well, you're going to hear so much. I mean, there's no, this is not one of those where it's easily structured. We're going to cover this. We're going to cover, we're going to be willing to just jump in anywhere and anytime. But one of the things that we will use as a, as a guide, right? As kind of a guide is we are using the, again, Bible studies for life from Lifeway. This is the summer 2023 uh, edition issue. And their series is called Set Apart. And remember, I gave you all of the scriptures and what you're supposed to be looking at. Remember them? Do you remember? Do you, do you remember? You're supposed to be reading them, right? Do you remember? Do you remember? I, I'm not going to give you them all again, but I can tell you the first one. And the first one I thought was fascinating. Because if I was putting together a study guide, if I was putting together a study guide on the doctrine of sanctification, where would I start scripturally? They pick a place that I'm still somewhat baffled by, but now I think I understand it, especially in light of the word beleaguered. And that whole thing I just did about saying the word correctly, because they start their entire discussion on sanctification in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 99, verses 1 through 9. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 9. Now, um, okay, good. I got. I was looking around for my other Bible. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna use that as well. But Psalm 99, verses 1 through 9. Now, when, when I gave everyone that scripture, I was hoping I would get an email from someone that would say, wow, they're going to, they, they, they start looking at sanctification by looking at Psalm 99. Wow. I get that. That is brilliant. That is genius. I love it. Or being like, what is, but I got, I got silence. Now, either no one bothered to read Psalm 99. They didn't have time or they weren't interested. But why do you think, like, if, like if I was, now, this is what I would do. If I was in front of people in a, in a, in a teaching situation, right, in front of people, I'd be like, all right, class, we are not moving forward until you give me your reasons why you think the author uses Psalm 99 verses 1 through 9 to start a series on the doctrine of sanctification. Why? And if I say justification, I apologize. We've been talking about justification so much. So if I miss, if I say it incorrectly, well, see, I'm not meeting the standard because what's the standard in, in broadcasting? That I say the right word at the right time, right? Yesterday at church, I, I confused Hades, Hades with uh, Abraham's bosom. There was no reason to do that. It was just, I was in haste, right? I was trying to hurry. But once again, I did not meet the standard. I did not meet, I fell short, but there is a standard. Now, I think you're getting, are you getting where I'm going? Are, are you catching on yet? Are you catching on yet? All right. Okay. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Maybe I just need to be more direct. All right. Psalm 99. I think you're going to see immediately what they're trying to do here. I think you're going to get it. Are you ready? Let's start reading. Verse one. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion and is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou doest establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. 
Verse 5. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar and they, they kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answer, thou answered this them. O Lord, our God, thou wast, thou wast a God that forgavest them, though they tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord, our God, is holy. Now, why do you think they would give us that? Now, I'm going to read it from a different translation. I'm going to have to reach over here and grab my Bible. Just give me one second. It was all the way across the room. Not all the way across the room. I had to leave my seat here. I'm going to go to Psalm 99. I'm going to read it from a different translation. Psalm 99. Here we go. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He is enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awe-inspiring name. He is holy. The mighty king loves justice. You have established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. Verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow in worship at his footstool. He is holy. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those calling on his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. They spake to, he spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an, uh, you, let me read this again. Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their sinful actions. Exalt the Lord our God, bow in worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Are you getting the idea? Why would they start there for the doctrine of sanctification? Why? They don't start with us. They don't start with whether it's a process or not a process. No, they don't start with, well, the past aspect of sanctification, the present, the future. They don't even really start with a definition. They start with Psalm 99. And what is emphasized in Psalm 99 more than once? Come on, class. Come on, class. What? What is? What is? What is emphasized here is that God is holy. Or as the study guide puts it, God is holy and set apart from everything else in his creation. We're going to talk about sanctification being set apart. Well, we need to set apart to what? Set, what, what is the standard? That's, see, that's why I started with how to say a word correctly. There's a standard. If you don't say the word correctly, oh man, I got to keep working on, I got to keep, that's the standard. We need to know the standard. We, we, we cannot look to our lives and compare it to other people. We can't compare it to the world. We can't compare it to Hollywood. We can't compare it to movies. We can't compare it to music. We can't compare it to other people in our small group. We can't compare it to people in our church. We can't compare it to anything other than God. That's where we start. God is holy and set apart from everything else in his creation. And I think you see that in Psalm 99, do you not? The study guide starts with this little story. They have a section called the Bible meets life. Let, let, let's just see what they do here, right? Let's just, let's just entertain this. I've been serious about my faith since receiving Christ. Immediately after my belief in baptism, I was intentionally discipled until leaving for college. After arriving at the large state university, I took religion class in a lecture hall with a Buddhist professor and over 200 students from every imaginable background. Though I was a devoted Christ follower, I began to explore different belief systems in order to better share my faith in Jesus. This led to years of research in religious communities across the continent. 
I've had discussions um, of I've had discussions about divine truth in Jesus with Harakrishnas and Toronto uh, Commune and a Toronto Commune fundamentalist Muslims and a Chicago Islamic Center and uni- Unitarian Universalists in downtown Philadelphia. In fact, I've had dialogues and in uh, temples, monasteries, and more than I can remember. And against that backdrop, one primary truth stands out: the God of the Bible is holy. He is utterly distinct from his creation. These traits distinguish him from all other so-called gods. Let's learn more about the one true God. Now, he emphasizes that fact, God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. He is distinct. He is set apart from his creation and his holiness. But this is where they start the discussion of sanctification. In Psalm 99, especially we see this in verses 1 through 3, let me read it again. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The study guide has this paragraph. In Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3, we see God depicted as a king, an indication of his greatness as the king of kings. As King David wrote these words under divine inspiration, he had an acute understanding of the kingship of God. After all, David himself enjoyed many of the entitlements of being a king. Okay, I think we can see a little bit about that, right? I think I think we can see that, hey, he's described as a king here. I think, I think we can see that. Now, there's many, much more they have to say here. There's much more. But I want you just to think about this, right? I want you, I want you to think about this. So let's just go through and just write down some basic observations. We're just going to do a little observational reading here. We've read it now in two translations. I've read again verses one through three. We do see he's kind of being described as a king, right? I'm going to set aside the study guide. I just want, I really want you to just try to grasp the significance of Psalm 99 in the beginning of a study on sanctification. And I think I've already given you enough clues to to try to explain, but let's just do some observational reading. The Lord reigneth. All right, so immediately when we, when we're going to sanctification, we have a, the standard. God is the one reigning. God is the one ruling. God is the one who is great. God is the one above everything else. Let the people tremble. Let the people tremble. Now, let the people tremble. Now, in the other Bible, how did they, how did they translate that? The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. They say, they do it the exact same way. So two completely different translations the same way. So let's do a little work on the word tremble, right? Let's do a little work on the word tremble. Instead of following some study guide, let's do this. All right, here we go. Blue Letter Bible app. Let's just do a little observational reading through this. I think it'll be well worth your time. All right, here we go. Psalm 99. Here we go. Where is it? Psalm chapter 99. Now look, verse 1. All right, here we go. The Lord reigneth. Let tremble the people. Let tremble. It is this Hebrew word. If I say Greek word, I apologize. Hebrew word. Hebrew word. Strong's H7264. Ragaz. 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 Ragaz is used 41 times. Ragaz is used 41 times. Now, now this is so important. Okay. So I want you to get, I want you to get two concepts down. All right. Obviously, Psalm 99 is giving us the standard. God is holy. When it comes to sanctification, we have to have a standard. That is what we're to be set apart to. That's what we're moving for. We cannot compare then ourselves to anything else. Once we see that God is the standard, once we see him, well, then it says, let the people tremble. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. When we see God as he is, then we should tremble. Now, the word ragaz used 41 times. Here's Strong's definition. You ready? To quiver 
with any violent emotion, especially anger or fear. Be afraid. Stand in awe. Disquiet. Fall out. Fret. Move. Provoke. Quake. Rage. Shake. Tremble. Trouble. Be wroth. The outline of biblical usage, tremble, quake, rage, quiver, be agitated, be excited, be perturbed, to quake, be disquieted, be excited, to perturb, to cause to quake, disquiet, enrage, disturb, to excite oneself. Now, it's used 41 times. If you would like, you can go through and find all the ways ragaz is used. You can find all the different ways. Now, if we look at the uh, study guide, I don't even know if they address the tremble part. Um, Let's see here. I don't even think they ignore it outright. I I mean, shocker, right? They ignore it outright. Let's look and see. Do you think anybody else, do you think any other commentaries acknowledges it? What do you think? What do you think? I think this is key. I really think this is key. Let's look at it. Psalm, if I can spell right, Psalm 99, verse 1. I'm doing a Google search. I'm going to pull up Bible Hub, all right? Ah, okay. Well, some of them translate it nations, which is interesting. They translate it nations. All right. That's interesting. But let's look at the commentaries and see what they do here. All right. Um, Wow. Okay. They kind of go in a different. So most, a lot of people believe this is the nations. And it says, um, be angry is how some people, I think that's maybe the, uh, the Vulgate, uh, translate or the, or the Septuagint translates it that way. Okay. Let's, uh, wow. Do they even, okay. Hang on. Other commentaries. Let's see what others do here. All right. Um, let the people tremble. The Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate render, let the people rage or be angry, as if the idea were that God reigned, although the people were enraged and were opposed to him. The true meaning of the word, however, uh, is tremble, tremble, which is how the King James translates it, properly signified to be moved, disturbed, disquieted, thrown into commotion, and then it may mean to be moved with anger or with grief or with fear or with joy. Hence, it means to be agitated or moved with fear or reverence. And it refers here to the reverence or awe which one has in a conscious presence of God. That's the direction I was going to take it. That's the direction I was going to take it. Please note, though, there seems to be some dispute exactly how to handle this, especially Latin Vulgate and the uh, the Septuagint goes in a kind of a different direction, almost like, hey, God reigns. Be upset about it. Be mad about it. But it, they, they think it has kind of a different perspective. So this is the way I was thinking about it. All right. So immediately we know Psalm 99 establishes God is holy. We're going to start our discussion on sanctification by establishing the ultimate standard. God is the ultimate standard. Don't look to anything else. Don't look to anywhere else. Don't look to your own self. Don't look to your good deeds. Don't look to, look to God. And once you look to God, you're going to see that he reigns. He's on the throne. He is the standard. He is the authority. He's the line in the sand. He is it. And when you see him, then let the people tremble. Then we should then be moved by that standard. Sometimes, guess what? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're going to be fearful because guess what we're going to see? God is holy and I am not. And guess what we're going to do? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, unclean hands. I am a sinner. I deserve judgment. And guess what? Whenever we see that standard, we should be broken. We should tremble and we should be fearful. And that's why we run to Christ and imputed righteousness. That's why we don't look to our actions. That's why it's insane to me. When people say somehow your sanctification proves your justification, that's ridiculous because in sanctification, what I'm doing is I'm looking to the ultimate standard and you know what I'm going to see? I'm going to tremble. I'm going to be scared because I know I don't get it right. I don't say the word right. I don't say, I don't do the things right. I don't meet the standard. So where do I go? I run to Christ. I run to my justification. 
which is not based on anything I do, it based on what he does. That then gives me the comfort and peace. Then from that, out of gratitude, I'm like, okay, there is the standard. Now I'm going to I'm going to, that's where I am to strive to. That's what I am to move to. But the first thing is supposed to do, it It should break you and crumble you. It it should break you down. In fact, you should kind of fall apart in in light of it, right? So you should tremble. I think sometimes if we're honest, because remember this word carries the idea of be angry. I think sometimes we're going to be angry. We're going to be angry at ourselves. Have you ever felt angry at yourself when you look at the standard of, of God? Are you angry and how you think and how you, I get angry sometimes when I look at the standard of God. I get angry at myself and I get mad. Sometimes I even may get angry at God. God, why do you make the standard so tough? I can't make it. You know what I do with that anger? Once again, I have to run to Christ for justification, for imputed righteousness. All right. Um, Someone quoted here, a quote from Spurgeon, or someone sends a quote, a quote from Spurgeon on verse one, saints quiver with devout emotion and sinners quiver with terror when the rule of Jehovah is fully perceived and felt. Now, I now only thing I would disagree with uh, Spurgeon there is I believe Christians feel both and sinners only feel one. All right. I, I, I think sinners only feel terror. They only, because, uh, because they, they, when the rule of Jehovah is fully perceived, I think they only feel terror. I think as Christians, we feel both. We feel the terror and then we also feel, uh, the devout, the quiver and, and, uh, devout, devout emotion. Uh, I think we feel both. That, that's my feelings is we feel at both. That, that's going to be my take. Uh, I believe as a Christian, we feel that fear that, that it should every day when I look to God, I'm like, you are holy. I am not. I fear where, where the only thing I can do for that is not try to do better, but run to Christ. Okay. Okay. I'm forgiven and Christ it has nothing to do with what I do. All right. Sometimes I'm going to be filled with anger at myself. Why can't I do it? I can only run to Christ and imputed righteousness know that I'm do, doing it. Sometimes I'm going to even feel angry with God. Why is the standard to, so tough? So I think we can feel fear. Uh, I think we can feel anger. And then I think sometimes what we should do is be filled with a devout reverence. Lord, you are so holy. And then we are motivated by that saying, Lord, I am not, but you desire holiness in the inward parts. And I, I seek to move closer and closer and to be set apart and get as close to that holiness as I can in this life, even though I will never come close to it. I think that there, I think it's a wide range of emotions. What you have to do is know what to do with each emotion. Some of those emotions are driving you to really back to the comfort of justification. And some of those emotions will drive you to say, oh, okay, because I'm justified, because I'm declared holy in your sight, then in my practice, I'm going to pursue this. And I see that you're all inspiring and you are great. And I, I will keep that standard in front of me. I think that, I think in a roundabout way, if you think about it, the Lord reigneth is the standard. Let the people tremble. There's that it's going to create emotion. When we truly see God as he is, then we see ourselves as we truly are. And it will create some kind of emotion. It's going to create emotion. And those emotions are not one. Those emotions are not two. Those emotions are varied. And the key is you got to know where to take the emotion. The the average church will tell you, will you feel that? Do better. Do more. Read your Bible. They will point you to, to work. No, no, no. Some of those emotions are to drive you directly to Christ, not to work. Okay, I, 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 okay, good. Someone said they agree that we can uh, experience a wide range of emotions. I think, I think there's all, I feel all of this all the, di- all the time. So many different ways and so many different ones. Now, if you're lost, it's just terror. It's just, it may be anger. It, it, you're not, you're, you're, it's not going to be good. Okay. Until you run to Christ. Now, once we run to Christ, we find the comfort in it. But then from that, we move forward. But I think the idea is Christ, God reigning is the standard and the trembling is the emotion that I think, and 
should move us. We talked about this late last night. Should move us. It should motivate. And it should either move me to run to Christ and the cross to find comfort. And it should move me to say, I am not anywhere what I should be. And I will never be what I should be until glorification. But Lord, set me apart day by day to get just a little bit closer to that standard. But I must maintain the right standard. And guess what that right standard will cut, will do? This is so important. If you see the Lord reigning and you tremble, it protects you from self-righteousness. The minute you start feeling self-righteousness, it's because you have the wrong standard. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The point is God's holiness should be the thing that moves you, should move you. It should move you in the direction of going back to justification to find comfort. And it should move you to pursue that standard and beg God that you can move closer and closer to it. The Lord is great in Zion and is high above all the people. Remember, God is high above all the people. He is just, don't look to anybody else. Don't look to anybody else. Don't compare yourself to anybody else because that's where self-righteousness is birth. Look, the minute your eyes are not on the one reigning, the one that's dwelling between the cherubims, the one that is great in Zion, that is high above all the people, the minute your eyes are taken off that, you will look at other people. And that is, listen, when you are looking at other people, that is the soil and where self-righteousness is planted and it will grow into a gigantic tree where you'll be nothing more than a pharisaical, uh, self-righteous jerk. But when you look up and you see the one reigning, the one that sitteth between the cherubims, the one that is great in Zion and high above all the people, your self-righteousness will burn up in 2.3 seconds. It will no longer exist and you will tremble and you will be moved. And guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to run back and remind yourself that your salvation is based off imputed righteousness, not what you do or don't do. And then you'll say, God, you're the standard. I, I thought somehow I was making my own righteousness the standard. But when I look to you, I see how unrighteous I am. When I look to other people, I may think I'm doing pretty good. You may look at someone who is struggling with some horrible sin and you're like, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like that person. But the minute you see God, you won't be looking, worrying about what that person is doing. You'll be worried about your own sin. Humility. Humility is when you see your sin before you see anyone else's sin. Humility is when you're broken and bothered over your sin before you're even concerned at anybody else's. Verse four, the king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. God is the standard. God is the standard. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. God is the standard. You should be moved by that standard and you should exalt and worship him. The minute you put your worship on anything else, you're exalting it and saying it is worthy. When you see God as holy, you'll know he's the only one worthy of worship because he's the only one who is perfect. Sanctification. Sanctification, therefore, is the constant awareness of God on the throne. He is the standard and being moved by that, be feeling that, and then giving your worship to him. Sanctification is, listen, it's the constant seeing the standard of God where you go back and find comfort in your justification because you won't find comfort in sanctification. Don't ever find comfort in your sanctification. Don't ever go, well, I, I, I'm better than I was yesterday. Don't do that. That's the wrong place to f- find comfort in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Then out of gratitude for that, you move forward and you move forward. But, but the minute you find satisfaction or comfort in your sanctification, it's going to be taken away for, from you because once again, once the minute you look back up to God's standard, you're going to realize how far short you fall. But then guess what? Once you're moved by this, you should exalt and worship him. Exalt and worship God for his holiness, for his perfection. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them, they call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. Now that they do bring in these other people and you could argue, well, you can also look to other people, but I I don't know if I would want to go that direction. Verse six, he spake unto them and the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances that he gave them. Just remember, they didn't keep them perfectly, right? They sinned. I mean, come on, look at the lives of Moses and Aaron. So how how could they be saying that they kept them? I think this is once again demonstrates that that our there's there's the practical form of sanctification and then there's the positional form of sanctification. And some ways in Christ, I keep all of God's law. I'm perfectly sanctified. In Christ, He is my sanctification. In practice, I'm not. So it's once again, because you look at the lives of Mo, Moses and Aaron, they didn't keep his testimonies and ordinance. They violate, they, they messed up. I mean, Moses doesn't even make it into the promised land for crying out loud. Was Aaron never involved in some serious problems? Thou answered them, O Lord, our God, that was thou wast a God that forgavest them. Now, I love verse 8. I'm going to look at verse 8 in a different translation. King James is really um, interesting there because it talks about how these people supposedly kept the commandments. And then, Lord our God, you answered them, right? That seems to be referring to Moses and Aaron and the priests and, and Samuel, maybe. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their sinful actions. God forgave them. Well, because they forgave and they did commit sin. But yet they're seen as being sanctified. I think that I think this begins to hand at the two aspects of sanctification. I am sanctified, perfectly complete, the end. I am being sanctified. And guess what that means? I'm going to need forgiveness, and there's going to be sin, and there's going to be stumbling, and there's going to be following, falling. And then what do we have again in verse nine? Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy hill for the Lord, our God is holy. God is the standard. We should be moved by it. We should be moved by it. We should worship him and exalt him. We have to remember that we are sanctified in Christ so we can be said that we keep his ordinance, but we have to be forgiven because we continue to fall and we have to realize that duality. I am sanctified, but I am being sanctified, meaning I'm still a sinner and I'm still falling. But we continue to exalt the Lord and worship at his holy hill for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 99 is the key. It's the starting point. You have to establish the standard, which all sanctification is judged by and make it very clear. If the standard is God is holy, you look at your life every day and you know you are not sanctified in practice. So your hope has to be, that's why you have to continue to cling to your justification. You have to continue to cling to that imputed righteousness. That's where you'll find peace. That's where you'll find comfort. If you don't remember the imputed righteousness of Christ every single day, if you don't run back to that imputed righteousness, if you don't run back to your position in Christ, sanctification will become the most discouraging, depressing, debilitating process you've ever experienced because all you're going to be is like, I can't, I fail, I can't, I fail, I can't, I fail. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. I give up. This is useless. No, whenever you feel that way, you run back to the imputed righteousness and say, Lord, thank you for your finished work. I rest in you. But then every day you, you, and, and you know that that, that imputed righteousness, your justification guarantees glorification. 
So you know you already are sanctified. You're already justified. You will be ultimately glorified. You will ultimately eternally be sanctified. So now in the pro, in the middle, it's your, it's a, it's a win-win game because even if you fall short, you are forgiven. Even if you fall short, it's already been paid for. Your, your glorification is still guaranteed no matter how far you fall short in your sanctification. That should motivate you. But you got, don't look to your sanctification and become discouraged. God, I got to work harder. I got to work harder. Rely on all the failures. Remember your justification and then continue to say, God, you're the standard and I'm going to press forward. But knowing you're never going to get it right perfectly. Do you think, do you think, come on, if you listen to me for any length of time, if you listen to me, do you even begin to think? That this beleaguered, beleaguered is going to be the first word or the last word I mess up on. Do you think it's going to be? Did you hear my sermon last night on Jeremiah where I was reviewing our study on uh, the doctrine of hell and the Greek word Gihana, Gihana. Like, I don't even remember exactly how to say it because I've always said Gihana, I think is how I've always heard it pronounced, Gihana. But then I heard it pronounced differently. So then it's like, is it bad? I went back and forth 15 different times. I didn't get it right. I did not meet the standard. I fell short. Beleaguered, I fell short. There's going to be thousands of other words that I fall short on that I'm going to mess up. I messed up Sunday morning by, for some weird reason in my mind, confounding and confusing. I did not meet the standard. I messed up two concepts. I can go back over every podcast and there is a standard. And by no means do I minimize the standard. No, no, I keep the standard for what it is. For what it is. And the standard is perfection. Guess what? In, in our lives of sanctification, we don't lower the standard. It is God calls us to be holy. We cannot meet it. So where do I, what do I do? What do I do? I run to the fact that I am holy. I am already sanctified. I am already justified. I am already holy in Christ. I'm already set apart. It's perfect. It is done. Whoo, good. Now, because I've already... In a sense, it's already been done for me. Now there's a freedom to pursue God's holiness, to be moved by fear, to be moved by reverence, because it's already been taken care of. So no, I don't, I can't, I shouldn't be afraid to try because what happens if I fail? Now, and Doing a podcast, I wish I could just always run back to, well, in Christ, I'm perfect. I can't do that. But I can run back to the fact that all I can do is try. Like, I, like it doesn't work so much when it comes to podcasting and saying words correctly, but that is a very much a good symbol that in my sanctification, I'm going to tr- pursue the correct way to say the words and I'm going to fall short. But in Christ, I've said all the words correctly. So why would I not continue to try? Because in Christ, I've already, I've already, I'm already perfect. You say, well, other people will criticize me and say I'm possibly not saved. Well, they can say whatever they want, but it's God who justifies. They can be the accuser of the brethren. They don't have a say in it. In Christ, I'm perfect, holy, and righteous. But Psalm 99 sets up the standard. Don't, don't look to anybody else. Look to the standard. But be moved by that standard. That standard should move you. It should impact you. And show reverence and worship God for his holiness. I think a great place to start is Psalm 99. Now, the study guide. I'm looking here. Well, they don't really, they don't really say much here. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of just, I took what they said and threw out everything. I I took, I, I took the idea they said, start with Psalm 99 and I really ignored everything they said, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. 
that's okay. I study guide sometimes just gives me the scripture and I go do my own thing with it, okay? But there you have it. I would love to get your thoughts on sanctification and Psalm 99 being the starting point. God is holy. Now, this takes us back. Let's not forget, though. We'll end with 1 Corinthians 1. Remember I told you this is the key verse? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 29. Let's start in verse 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. You, there's, no, there's no room for you to glory. There's no room for you to boast. But of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who made, who of God is made unto you. Christ is made unto you. This is why there's no room for you to boast. He is your wisdom. He is your righteousness. And he is your sanctification. And he is your redemption. Christ is your sanctification. So in that sense, you no matter how much you fall short, don't get discouraged. You're already sanctified. Christ is your sanctification. When anyone tries to look to your sanctification to prove your justification, you say, well, go ahead. Christ is my sanctification. Therefore, I'm perfect. And then look what it says, verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. You can't glory in anything you do. Because you're already perfect in Christ. He is your righteousness. He is your redemption. He is your sanctification. That's where your comfort is. So if you think about it, you have to have the right understanding of justification by imputed righteousness because that is the, that is your security. That is your foundation. Then in your sanctification, the foundation is looking to God's holiness, which is going to scare you to death and going to make you feel like a failure. You run back to your justification for that comfort. And then you say, well, because I'm already justified and because I'm already sanctified, here's God's standard. Now I'm going to be moved by reverence and awe of him. And I'm going to move and pursue holiness while I exalt him and worship him and not look to other people. There you have it. You can email me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And I'm very, 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 very much aware this is not how most people handle the doctrine of sanctification. But I think it's where we have to start. You can tell me how you disagree. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful day. And may God bless you as you work on the doctrine of just, or sanctification. Okay, if I said justification, I apologize. The doctrine of sanctification. And please continue to work on our study of, in the book of Jeremiah. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.